Well, good morning again, everybody. Hope that your week has gone well, that you've enjoyed the temperatures this week. It's been just lovely out there. Um, Hopefully you're enjoying this long weekend to some degree. Uh, Definitely can feel some of that change in the weather. Uh, But we also have college football season starting back up in full swing. Um, September is here. Kids and teachers alike are probably already counting down days to Christmas break. And, you know, it's just the way things go. You know, but, you know, as the weather gets a little bit cooler, maybe you're enjoying some things in the evening, opening up some windows in the house, maybe going for a long walk in the evening to enjoy the cool of the day. You know, as I thought about that this week, it got me thinking about all of the fun songs that are there when it comes to walking. You know, have you ever contemplated those? You know, if I was a little bit more musically inclined, I might sing a few for you. But I'm the type of person that loves just to create little earworms and give you a song title or some lyrics so that you would just be thinking about them the rest of the day. And, you know, when I think about walking, of course, the first song that comes to my mind is from the Proclaimers, I'm Gonna Be. And you might know it better of and I would walk 500 miles, and I would walk 500 more, and maybe you can finish that. Or how about these boots? They are made for walking. What about Walk This Way by Aerosmith? As I say that, do you hear Steven Tyler's voice and the way he sings that? Walk the line by Johnny Cash, Walk Like an Egyptian, or Walking on Sunshine, and maybe your favorite, Just a Closer Walk with Thee. Walking is something that we do most days. Becomes a little bit more difficult as you get older. You're not as agile as you once were. And we've been talking about keeping in step with the Spirit or walking with the Spirit. It's a phrase that's interchangeable in Scripture. We're going to start a look as we continue going through this at four different sections of Scripture in Paul's letters that he talks about keeping in step with the Spirit, where he talks about walking with the Spirit and the importance of that for a believer. As I've found in my study, most of these themes are going to overlap within these letters, which shows that this, these are general issues that all of the church is facing, that all of the church is going through. As he is talking about these things to the churches, I think it is not something that is lost on us as well. So today we're going to start in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. Next week, we will look in chapter 5 of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles open to Ephesians, you can follow along. Um, The main part of the scriptures today will be on the screen for us as well. So beginning in verse 17. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, 
greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of, the, out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Father, as we take a look at these passages, I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds, um, that we can examine our walks, the steps that we take as we are following you. And Lord, may you be given the glory each and every day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so as we kind of look over this passage, I see kind of three different divisions of who Paul is addressing or the things that he is addressing. We see the life of Gentiles as it's compared and contrasted to what Christians are called to as new believers. Um, and then we see some specific examples and encouragement to those new believers, uh, to those individuals, in terms of ways that they can walk, ways that they can keep in step with the Spirit. Now, when Paul is talking about walking here, he is describing the daily living that every believer goes through. Um, everyday situations, every day we are able to take a look back at the steps that we have made, what direction are we headed? And you know, when we think about walking, we also wanna keep in mind how it is a narrow way to life. Wide is the way and the gate to destruction, but it is a narrow way. So how are we walking? Are we walking on the straight and narrow, or are we kind of meandering a bit to and fro? And we'll, get, we'll go over different examples of that over these coming weeks. But you know, the directions that we're headed, we should be able to look back each day and assess those. What are the footprints that we are leaving behind? What is the legacy in terms of the direction that we're going? Paul is using this language to describe our steps of faith, and he starts by giving this admonition, kind of a teaching with a warning attached to it, strict guidance that the church needs to follow to not live as the Gentiles do currently. Now, this is a callback to the opening part of the chapter. If you want to flip a page or if it's at the top of your page, as he starts in chapter 4, he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit 
and the bond of peace. The attitude, the drive of our walk is the love of Christ. It is this bond of peace that we are to have with one another. Love for one another. A calling that comes from the Lord. It's also reflected in chapter 5, verse 2. 1 and 2, I'll read. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice. So love and peace is kind of the basis for this teaching in terms of how we are to walk as believers. He's testifying before the Lord the validity of this teaching, that they must not walk in the same way that the Gentiles do anymore. So this is explaining the way that they used to walk before they became Christians, the way that the Gentiles still do now. And it's described as being in futility, meaning meaningless, because they're chasing after things that are hollow, things that are selfish, things that are um, idols, things that go to their sensuality. The Gentiles, the pagans, they're walking in that way. And the believers that Paul is writing to can no longer walk in this way. But he is writing because there must be a temptation to do that. There must be a push from the culture to be walking in that way, to live in that way. Otherwise, he wouldn't have this as an admonition. He wouldn't have this as warning. So you can see, even culturally, they're being tempted to walk in sensuality, in impurity. And kind of the context with what's going around this church and the understanding of what's going on can be described pretty easily. And it's also a preview for the men in the men's Bible study. You see, there was a group of Christians throughout history that would have these interpretations and understandings of scriptures that believed that they could do whatever they wanted and still be good in God's eyes. They could still live like the Gentiles did. They can still live in sin because, well, Jesus paid for the sin, didn't he? And on top of that, some people took that a step further to say, well, if God gets glory for the forgiveness of my sin, maybe I should sin even more. And then God could get more glory. You know, and Paul addresses this type of teaching in Romans chapter 6. He says, I got that on a slide actually. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. And in Greek, it's a, it's a double negative, which just adds emphasis. May it never be so. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. You know, Paul, in many of his letters, continues to challenge the believers to walk in ways that are worthy of the grace that they have received, not to abuse that grace. Now, on the other side of it, within the context, you also had a group of new believers in the church that were called, you know, Judaizers, thinking that you had to become a Jew first, so you had to become, you had to have a circumcision and then become a Jew, then you could become a Christian, then you could be saved. Oh, and you've got to keep the law, too, to keep that salvation. You have to maintain the Ten Commandments. If you don't do that, then you're not really saved. So you have these extremes. When you're walking on the narrow path, maybe you're over here in this grace area for a little while. 
And then you swing back over here into this legalism area for a little while. Both are extremes in abusing what the gospel message is. You know, and, and you're going to th- probably go through seasons like that in your own life as well. But it's just a matter of narrowing those curves a little bit, keeping it closer to that straight and narrow. Um, so it's something that we want to be aware of as we're pursuing Christ in our life. You know, one of my favorite quotes from A.W. Tozer says this, Contemporary Christians have been caught in the spurious logic that those who have found him need no longer seek him. You know, it's a folly to think that we need no longer to seek after God once we have been saved. Because we're continuing to walk this path. We're continuing to go down this road of life. And Paul is warning the early church in this way. So too, we need to be on the lookout for those things, those additions, or maybe those subtractions to the gospel message that we have heard, that we have understood. We need to be careful of those things and hold them in balances as we seek that relationship with Christ. Now, as we get caught up in either of those extremes, you also find people will come up with excuses for the, to believe in the way that they do, to excuse their sin or to excuse their, their bad behavior, their legalism. But as it says in Romans 1, men are without excuse. And I think this passage here in Ephesians gives a good reason why men are without excuse. Paul's teaching here, that a believer can no longer walk as a Gentile and their futility because the Gentiles are walking in darkness. A Gentile is darkened by their understand, in their understanding because of their ignorance, because of their hardness when it comes to God. They have a heart that is calloused because of what they've subjected themselves to. And you think of what the Gentiles would have subjected themselves to in terms of their lifestyle, in terms of their living, and the sensuality, and it would show a godlessness about them. It shows that they're living with this attitude that says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we will die. They are alienated or they are separated from God because of their own ignorance due to the hardness of their hearts. They're hardened in their sin. And it's a, it's a hardness that's calloused, as the word says. You know, you think of calluses. Sometimes you can get them on your hand and your hands are a little rough. But I like the image better of when you break a bone and the bone is mending, it forms a callus over that until it's repaired and it's absorbed into the bone. Many times that callus is harder than the bone itself. And that callus is what's describing, describing the Gentiles' hearts when it comes to God emphasizing their hardness of hearts, how their minds are against the ways of understanding God. They are giving themselves over to sensuality. They are greedy for every form of impurity that is around them. And you contrast this to a believer. What have we been talking about? What is a believer called to? They are called to holiness. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness, It's a direct contrast, the purity that a believer is to exhibit and the impurity of a Gentile, the darkness and the light. The believer has been exposed to the light of Christ and the darkness is exposed in their life. 
You cannot go on living in the darkness now. Now, it doesn't mean that you will not sin or be tempted by the darkness, but you have that conviction of that sin from the Spirit, and you have that experience now. You know right from wrong. You are no longer ignorant to the ways of God. And Paul shifts to to the believer's experience here at Ephesus in verse 20. And he emphasizes that this is not what they learned when it came to Christ. Now, sometimes the English translations get to me, and I want to pull my hair out a little bit. And I understand the difficulty of translating. I would not want that job at all. But when I look at verse 21, my version says, assuming that you have heard, some versions say, if indeed you have heard. And when we read that in the English, it presents this doubt. Well, maybe they haven't really heard. Maybe they're not really believers. But that's not what's being expressed in the Greek. In the Greek, it is more a confident expression. For certain, you have heard. Surely, you have heard um, about him. You were taught in him. Why would Paul be saying this with such confidence? Because he's the one that taught them. He's the one that shared with them. He's the one that planted this church. So he knows that they have heard. Whether or not they believed is a different story. He knows they were taught in the truth. The only truth is found in Jesus. That's who Paul preaches. Paul says to the Corinthian church, if Christ is not raised, that they are to be the most pity because they are still in their sins and their faith is futile. But Christ is raised. That is the truth. This is what, this is what Paul would preach. So when he uses the term Jesus there in our text, especially in the book of Ephesians, when he uses Jesus, he is referring to the death and resurrection of Jesus. He is referring to the person of Christ and the truth that is found in him with the gospel message. That is what he is proclaiming. That is the basis of the truth that he's expressing here. And he is confident that they have heard this message. He then brings in another contrast to throw off the old self and to put on the new self. Very popular phrase that we are familiar with. And this is associated with the old ways of doing things, um, what they, how they thought like, how they acted like when they, before they were believers, and you compare that to the new life that you have in God, how they are now new creations, created in righteousness of God, in holiness, no longer stuck in futility calling them to be renewed in the spirit of their minds, kind of echoing what we started with in terms of Romans chapter 12. You know, this is, as I said, a popular saying, almost like a broken record anymore, to throw off the old and put on the new. A calling to live and to walk the life that Jesus calls us to. A walk that is surrounded by love and peace. John 15, 17 says, this is my command love each other and earlier in that chapter he explains this is how we know what love is uh, when a man would lay down his life for a friend we think about love and the aspect that that has in our walk when we call ourselves Christians we understand that we are saying that we are followers of Christ that we are representing him 
his values, his ethics, his morals, that we are guided by the Holy Spirit and that we represent and we are ambassadors for his truth, the truth of the gospel message. Paul then says, this is why we put away all falsehoods, all deceit, all lies, because we are, people to, be, we are to be people who are about the truth, not lies, not falsities. So speak the truth to your neighbor. And again, truth here is the gospel message. It's not, hey neighbor, I don't like the color of paint that you painted your house. I mean, it might be true, but that's not the truth that Paul is expressing. It's, hey neighbor, do you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Is that a part of your relationship with those that are around you? Of course, then it goes back to that question of who is my neighbor? Do we understand that? Because you are placed in your community for a reason. You have a purpose as a believer to be his ambassador, to speak the truth on his behalf. And those that are in your circles are your opportunities to do just that. That should always be a part of your walk. The term speak there in verse 25 is the first of quite a few imperatives in this following section. Imperatives that the Paul is calling the believer to follow. A Christian is to be righteous, unlike the ways of the world. And the ways of the Spirit will guide you to walk differently than the way the world is walking. One example here is to be angry and not sin. To deal with the issues in the present time before the sun goes down, rather than stewing on the, over them and holding on to them for vengeance or grudges later on. So, I mean, this verse shows us that a righteous anger is allowed. Anger at moments of injustice, of moral depravity in our culture is allowed. But many times when we're angry, we want to say it's righteous anger, but it's actually just selfish preferences. Not giving the devil an opportunity. Another command for the believers. A command that I could spend the whole time talking about today. Not giving the devil an opportunity. I mean, how many times do we fall to temptation because we place ourselves in those situations? We don't remove ourselves from those areas of temptation. My father-in-law had a saying, nothing good happens after midnight. I mean, there's truth in that. Some young 20-year-olds don't want to agree, but there's truth in it. Don't put yourself into areas of temptation. Don't give the devil a foothold in your life. It's not a step on the path that we are called to be on. It's a step in the direction of futility into the ways of the world. Paul then gives an example of these types of changes that need to happen in a believer's life as he gives an example of the thief and the type of change that's desired. Let him stop stealing and instead work with his hands, earn money so that he can give instead of take. We see how this is a complete reversal in this person's life that takes off the old and puts on the new. Stealing is just an example. Insert any vice, insert any sin that you might be struggling with in that area. As you have come to Christ, has there been a change that resembles this verse? 
Maybe in some areas in your life, maybe in other areas there's still some strongholds that you have to deal with where the spirit needs to convict and you need to surrender. The struggles will still be there. Just, just because you become a Christian doesn't mean that the devil is going to give up on you. Instead, his attacks ramp up even more so. Now, we have to continue to believe the truth that we are his, that we have been bought with the most precious price, his blood. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit for redemption, and that should alleviate in our minds some of these pressures, some of these burdens that we place on ourselves when it comes to understanding and resting in salvation. It is a work that is solely done by the Father, by God. And we need to take those burdens that we have in this life and lay them at the cross, trusting in him and what he says. The next thing, and this is, since I besmirched translating before, this is my translation of this next verse. Every rotten and worthless word let it not come out of your mouth. Only those things that are good for building up and spreading grace to those that hear it. Now this is a tough one for me. I love to be sarcastic. I love to make jokes. I love to play off of gullibility towards others. It might not always be tearing somebody down, but what is the value in the words that I'm saying? Is it building somebody up? Is it edifying them? Or is it just a cheap laugh? Again, it's something that I need the Spirit to help me with. And you know, many times we look at this verse and we look at this interpretation and we think about, yep, I need to, I need to speak better to others. But I think that this verse is also very beneficial to speak to ourselves. Because as believers, we can struggle with this too. How often do we speak rotten words about ourselves? How often do we say, I'm stupid, I'm dumb, I'm worthless, I'm ugly, I'm untalented, I have no gifts, and we are just down on ourselves? As a believer, let me speak to you for a moment. Understand, as a believer, that you are a new creation that you are holy, that you are righteous, that you are beautiful, that Christ died for you. You are not worthless. The devil wants your soul. You are not worthless. You have an opportunity to bring glory to the Almighty with the way that you walk and the way that you live your life. The devil will try to do anything that he can to get you to succumb, to stop what you're doing to bring God glory. As we have talked about before, that battle rages in your mind. It's probably one of the most accurate things that Looney Tunes ever got. Little angel on this shoulder, little devil on this shoulder, whispering in your ear over and over again. It's a battle that so many of us face. And because it's in our minds, we keep it to ourselves. Take it to the word. Does it match up? Does it hold weight to what the word of God says about you? If it doesn't, then it's from the enemy. Recognize that. Break free from the burdens that that creates in your life. 
and live victoriously because the victory has already been won by Christ. Do not get caught in the old ways and putting back on that old self. Understanding the righteousness that you have in Christ. Understanding the words that he uses in scripture to identify you, to define you as a believer. It takes me back to the warning that God gives in Deuteronomy to the Israelites. In chapter 30, he says, Therefore I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Therefore choose life. Every day, every step you take could be closer to God or it could be in a different direction. It could be in the direction of the world, of the culture, of your own selfishness, of the enemy trying to steer you away from the glory of God. We have to recognize that and discern through that in this life. Live a life that is in him because he is the source. He is the vine. And we are called to walk in the spirit. Verse 31, Paul says to put away all of these things. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, shouting, slanderous speech, malice. All of these things that have been a part of your old life. Put it away. Give it over to him. You know, I, I look at these types of things. I look at the righteous anger, not letting the sun go down on your anger. You know, life is too short to be squabbling over the things that we squabble over. The fights that we pick. Because many times it's about our preferences. It's about our own selfish attitudes. Some perspective realize also that there are people that just dream of being able to have a fight with a lost loved one. Do not forsake the bond of peace and the unity that we have in the spirit. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Work through things in the spirit, showing grace to one another and realizing that as you're showing grace, for some of us, maybe we've spent 30 years as a Gentile, swearing, building up anger, building up all these vengeance, and that's the habitual stuff that we know. And yes, in some areas of our life, we can have a change like that. In others, it's gonna take more grace. And we need to show each other that grace. We need to show each other Christ in our life to work through things, not to be abused, not to be legalistic, but walking that straight and narrow path, understanding the difference between those things. Lean into the fact, you know, Jesus, he knows your sins. He knows the mistakes that you've made. He knows the areas that you've been hardened and calloused against God, completely separated from him, bound and determined for hell. But he loved you so much that he went to the cross to pay for that sin debt that you owe. And he calls us to believe on him, to love others as he has loved you. Looking at verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It's truly a humbling logic when you think about it. One that continues to seek him rather than the ways of this world that shows that he loves you too much to leave you the way that you are because he calls us for so much more. 
He calls us to walk closely with him. And as Christians, we recognize where we've come from, that we were all lost and living in ways of futility, living in ways of death and sin. And we recognize that there is a change in our lives because of the salvation that we've experienced and the filling of the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us. We are sanctified and we are called to walk in ways that are worthy of the grace that we have received. It will and it must look different than the culture and the world because those ways are futile. We live in a way that expresses the hope that is in us through Christ in a way that shows the love of God and the bond of peace among us. Are those the characteristics in how you are walking today? Let's pray. Father, as we continue to take closer looks at your word when it comes to our walk as believers, Lord, I pray that your light would shine on those areas of our life that we are walking in the, with the old self, those areas that we're still holding on to selfishness, those areas that are not edifying to you. I pray that you would help us to live lives full of grace and humility, of love and of peace as we represent you as your ambassador. Help us to be a believer about the truth, understanding the errors of our own beliefs at times, and adjusting when needed. But Lord, help that to be the basis found in your word. Help us to be able to discern false teaching. And Lord, as we have said, the way that we do that is by being in your word more often. So I pray for strength in our devotional lives. I pray for that time that priority in our life that pursues you, that seeks you, that runs hard after you instead of the things of this world. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen.